Hello, this is Lynn Jones, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversations. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. And what a baseball man we have for you today here on Clubhouse Conversation the place where we talk to all your favorite current and former Royals players. It's Davo, and I'm delighted you're along as we're about to be joined live by Lynn Jones, who played for the Royals from 1984 to 1986. And I, I call him quite the baseball man because of his entire career, both as a player and a coach. Let's go back. Lynn Jones originally drafted by the Reds in the 10th round of 1974 out of a tiny college called Teal College in Pennsylvania. Then the Tigers selected him in the Rule 5 draft. He spent five years in Detroit, three years in KC, was a part of the 85 World Series team for the Royals as a fourth outfielder. And then fast forward to later, Lynn Jones, the first base coach for KC in 91 and 92. He did the same thing with the Boston Red Sox when they won a world championship, was a manager in the Marlins system for many years when they won a world championship. Lynn Jones, a guy who has spent pretty much his entire life in baseball, he knows it and he's happy to talk about it. He joins us here on Clubhouse Conversation. Very excited for this one. Lynn Jones, how's everything going with you? Well, everything is going fine. Uh, I'm in retirement now, and it's been three years, and it's been outstanding. Absolutely love it. Uh, things are going well here. I'm glad to be able to spend more time with my wife and and uh, see see my kids a little a little bit more often. Although they're up and out of the house now, uh, but still, it's kind of nice that uh, I can see them on their schedule and not mine. Yeah, there you go. And you're coaching some baseball these days too, right? Your alma mater. Yes, I'm down at, uh, it looks like Thiel College, but it's called pronounced Teal College. It's in Greenville, Pennsylvania. And, uh, yeah, I'm volunteer coach down there and simply enjoy what I'm doing. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's part of me hopefully giving back a little bit to uh, my alma mater. And, uh, you know, we're, we're doing okay. We're getting better uh, every year, and the program's getting better. And, uh, so hopefully uh, me being around the program helps, uh, but it's it's always nice to be able to visit uh, with good friends in the area. Yeah, totally. Well, um, I'm assuming you watched this 2014 Royals World Series run pretty closely. Did that bring back a lot of memories for you? Uh, yes, it did. It brought back a lot of memories. Uh, it was... Uh, you know, the main thing, not the main thing, but the thing that I always like to see out of the World Series is seven games. More than anything else, I, w- I like to see seven games because uh, uh, I've become a real fan of just pure baseball, uh, and it was just, it, it was really a joy to watch seven games and, uh, and to watch both teams. Yeah, unfortunately we came up uh, short, but it was definitely a good ride this year. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, they have a lot to be uh, proud of. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of things to be said about losing. Uh, you know, not everybody can win, but uh, it, it kind of, in a way, makes you, what I think, a little bit hungrier 
on figuring out what needs to be done to take that final step. I, I know that a lot of guys that uh, I played with, uh, with the Royals, uh, they had to go through it a number of times. Uh, but they were a little bit uh, uh, playoff warriors, I would say, and playoff hardened so that um, certainly they knew uh, what, it, what it took to get, get it done. Well, hopefully we'll get to there some point in the future. So you ready to go back to the old days and start from the beginning? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> if we need to go back to the beginning, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, your older brother, Daryl, uh, also played in the big leagues along with you. He was a 1979 New York Yankees. So as a kid, I'm assuming he was probably your biggest influence or one of your biggest influences with baseball? Well, actually, yeah. Uh, Daryl, uh, my father, uh, coached us from the time we were uh, in what we call Bantam leg around here. I would say it's Pee Wee leg and uh, other places. But, uh, well, I guess back nowadays it's called T-ball, yeah. uh, which is unheard of uh, in, in our day and age uh, uh, from, from us old timers. But, uh, yeah, my, my father was a big influence, uh, who spent a lot of time, uh, with, uh, my brother and I, and of course, Daryl, uh, who was a year and a half older than me was, uh, probably one of the greatest influences that I had, uh, in coming up. We, we, we actually came from a very small community, 300 people. And so I, we consider it, uh, uh, one of those, you know, odd, odd things that two kids uh, from a town of 300 might make it to the big leagues. Uh, so, yeah, Daryl was a b- very big influence. And, my, and the big thing with, with uh, his influence was he didn't have to show me things. I just followed him and stuck on his coattails, which, uh, which made me a little bit better than everybody else uh, uh, that, that was in my class. Uh, and my age bracket, so uh, that certainly helped. And Daryl spent many, many hours on the baseball field where I didn't spend as many hours uh, because I was more of a guy who kind of uh, carefree, went to the creek, fished, uh, uh, did things outdoors, uh, and multiple things where Daryl was full-time baseball from the time he was a youngster. Huh. Now, how about your dad? Was he a pretty big baseball fan, and did he play quite a bit growing up, too? Uh, no, he didn't actually play fo- uh, baseball. He was a football player uh, growing up and played some semi-pro with a team close here with the uh, 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 what they called the Talon Zippers. And Talon was the uh, which is was a factory in Meadville, which uh, they invented the zipper. Huh. And so he played for them uh, when he was a youngster, and uh, it was, you know, he was, his influence sports-wise was football, but I had two older brothers that were uh, eight, nine years older, and uh, he, he started Little League back then uh, uh, in our area with those guys. And so his influence started quite a few years before uh, we were even born, but uh, so I did have older brothers that I could look up to, uh, along with Daryl being the major influence. Well, like, like we talked about earlier, you went to Teal College then, and you were just the second Tomcat player to get drafted, the first to reach the big leagues ultimately. But before we talk about that, what are your favorite memories of playing uh, college ball there? <laughs> well, we weren't very good. 
that I could tell you. We played, uh, and back then when I played, uh, we moved our, we actually played in a park down down below uh, um, the the college, and we moved a field up on campus, but we moved it up on what they call East Acres, and it was windy and cold and no fences. So when you hit it, you hit it and ran. <laughs> and if you could hit it uh, to right center field, then it was going down over the hill, and you'd, you'd lose track of half of the outfielder. So it was every man for himself, just dig it out and run as, uh, as fast as you could. So uh, those are some of the fond memories. We, we had some guys that uh, uh, I'm still in contact with uh, to this day. Uh, that I played baseball with at, at uh, Teal College. And uh, so more than anything, camaraderie. Yeah. That was the, the things that uh, I remember. But I didn't go there to play uh, baseball. Uh, I actually went there to play uh, basketball. Really? I didn't know that. Yes. I, uh, my college coach, uh, Bud Mains, uh, uh, came and recruited me to play uh, basketball there, and I played uh, my four years there. I played, and then we started a soccer team, and I also had the opportunity to play soccer there too. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it was a different day where you could play two and three sports. Where it's totally different today, where uh, coaches now want you to uh, concentrate on just one sport and and maximize your efforts on that. Which I totally disagree with. Uh, I like a, I, I like guys that are well-rounded athletes, and I thought a lot of us guys. Uh, and back in those days, you found more two and three sport athletes. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so the Reds took you then in the tenth round of the '74 draft. So draft day itself. What do you remember about that day? And you know, was... <laughs> well, it was. I mean, I was I was playing in a summer college league the year before. And I went because I didn't want to work that summer. So I, wanted, I, I figured I, I'd just soon play baseball uh, uh, competitively, uh, and it was in the Shenandoah Valley League. Uh, so my junior year, I was able to go down through my brother, his contacts down there, and he had already signed with the Yankees. So I, I, I actually went down there and played the following year, my senior year, uh, which was my draft year, uh, the coach that I was going to repeat again with down there, uh, he told me not to come down because I would probably be drafted. And I, of course, you know when you're when you're a young kid, you're kind of, you're kind of thinking, yeah, right, sure, I'm going to get drafted. <laughs> uh, and wasn't quite sure of his words, but sure enough, I was. And uh, my scout, who is still living, Elmer Gray, uh, lives in Pittsburgh, and. He uh, he saw something in me he liked, and he he actually signed was the same guy who signed um, uh, Ken Griffey Senior. Oh, okay. Out of Denora, PA. So, uh, you know that was kind of nice. Now, yeah, I was. Uh, I think I was. I don't even know what round I was drafted. Eleventh round or Ten. something like yeah. that. Ten. Uh, and. I thought, okay, I got drafted. I might get some money here. <laughs> well, when I got my uh, contract and signed to sign the bonus, I got a grand total uh, of a five hundred dollar offer. <laughs> and, and now this eleventh round or tenth round, whatever I was, and and I thought, really, five hundred dollars? So 
I had to really negotiate hard uh, to double it and got a thousand dollars in a plane ticket to to Billings, Montana. So that was a start. So uh, you know, it wasn't like today's kids where their instant uh, uh, wealth uh, and 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 clamoring to find their financial uh, brokers. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that was just enough to sustain my my big thing was can I get a car right <laughs> so that times were different yeah for sure well you finished 1974 playing an A ball out in Seattle actually so uh, at Six Stadium right the same place the pilots had played yes uh, and it was actually part of the stadium was actually condemned really uh, the the center field bleachers or well actually the outfield bleachers. Uh, they were condemned. Nobody was allowed to sit out there because they were actually all wooden uh, uh, bleachers. And so, but it was a beautiful field. And of course, coming from uh, East Acres uh, out uh, in in Teal College, all of a sudden you're playing on a big league field. The surface was fantastic. Um, and so that was a, a a big deal going out there and playing and and being able to. Uh, play on a, an actual big league field where the Seattle Pilots played. Yeah, well, then 75 to 77, you played double-A three rivers in the Reds organization. So what town was that in, and what was that experience like? <laughs> Trois-Rivières. Uh, it was, at the time, the paper capital of the world. Uh, had three large factories, uh, paper mills uh, there, and uh, trust me, it was not a place, if you were in the uh, downwind. You didn't want to be downwind from any of the factories because it wasn't pleasant. Uh, and it was, uh, but it was it was fine. It was a uh, it was a place where they treated us well. Yeah, I can't say enough about the Canadians and uh, the Quebecians. Uh, they were they were good people. They treated us nice. Uh, and the Reds had had a quite quite a long. Um, affiliation with them and so it was nice but i spent two and a half years up there uh and the first year i actually got sent out of there because i went uh as a shortstop and it was not pleasant uh going from the outfield to to the infield things were happening a little too quick for me in there uh but i spent two and a half seasons there and and i didn't think i was ever going to get out of double a it was it was tough uh, but I did. I, I, I survived it. I got through uh, uh, a couple of uh, decent seasons and made it to AAA. Yeah, well, you had really good in AAA, too. 1978, you played for Indianapolis there. You hit over 300 for the first time. You had a 328 uh, if you're average, 386 on base, 459 slugging. So, I mean, that was had to have been a fun year for you, right? It was. It was It was a, a fabulous year, and I, I – and I, I, I have to attribute that to a mindset that I that I really had going into it, because at that point I that was going into my fifth season in minor league ball, and I was really thinking that uh, at that point I was really looking at AAA as being my major leagues, uh, getting the opportunity to fly uh, to the different cities to play your opponents. Uh, I was looking at that being my last year, uh, and I was starting to do job search and uh, looking at, at other avenues, you know, for other careers to, uh, you know, 
to move beyond baseball. So I got, I think with that mindset saying that I'm going to give it everything I got because this is going to be my last year, the concentration was there, thinking I was just having fun. Uh, And that's one of those things where Big Brother helped me get through that year. Uh, And he uh, was able to talk things through with me and uh, went doing well. I think I was hitting 320 towards in the last month of the season, and then I started to fall off, and I got to thinking, oh, boy, here I go. Uh, This is going to be my last year. And I think I eventually hit 300 before he had a long conversation with me, and then I ended up uh, relaxing and getting back to where I was at before and uh, finished up the season uh, well. We had a good team, though. Oh, my goodness, we had a good team. Uh, uh, And I played with a lot of uh, big league players on that on that ball club and guys that I had been drafted with um, um, uh, in, back in 1974. So we had spent a lot of time together. Uh, and uh, now that I think about it, I, I was looking back on some of your past interviews and I saw Mike Armstrong. I, I actually spent, uh, I believe, all five years at yeah. some point with Mike Armstrong <laughs> Uh, in the minor leagues with with uh, uh, Cincinnati. I noticed that, actually. I was looking last night. I was like, wow, he did play with Mike Armstrong quite a bit. Haven't, haven't talked to him in years either. Uh, we'll have to get you back in touch. No problem yeah, with that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so after that year then, the Tigers took notice, and they selected you in the Rule 5 draft from the Reds. So the day you found out that news, what were your emotions like leaving Cincinnati and going to Detroit? I was actually down in the Dominican Republic, and I was playing for Tony La Russa uh, in uh, one of the teams down there. I'm trying to think. uh, um, I can't think of the name of the team right now. But uh, anyways, I was down there playing. His team was not playing very well. And once I found out that I was drafted, I said, you know what? Uh, I think it would bode me best if I just leave here and concentrate on what I needed to do uh, going into camp uh, with the Tigers because I had never been to a big league camp. Uh, and it, it worked out well. I think probably the the biggest thing that happened to me in being able to get drafted by the um, uh, Detroit Tigers was Les Moss. Uh, I, I had spent quite a few games playing against Les Moss as a manager for the AAA team. He was named the manager of the uh, Detroit Tigers. And so I got, uh, it was very fortunate. You, I, the way I look at it is you have to, you have to have in some cases a series of things that happen to you, good fortune, call it luck. And I think one of those things that for me was Les Moss being able to uh, see me play uh, quite a few games because they were our closest, um, uh, our closest located team when they were in Evansville. Uh, so we played them often, and so I, I played well against them. So Les Moss was probably the biggest influence uh, as far as getting me to the Tigers and, and, and getting me drafted over there. And going into big league camp as a rookie, never being being there at all, uh, 
he came up to me the first day and said he didn't want me to worry about anything. I was his fourth outfielder. Wow. <laughs> well, that's a that's a boost. <laughs> uh, so I, it was I, I relaxed from that point on in spring training and um, uh, deserved to go on the team, I guess. Yeah, well, you made the roster, like you said. Then April 13th of 79, you went two for three with a walk and a run at Texas in your big league debut. And you did something that doesn't seem real common. You walked in your first big league at bat. Then that was against Doc Ellis, and then you singled against him in your next at bat. So do you remember that day pretty well? Oh, yeah. I, I have the ball. I have balls from every <laughs> everything, balls that uh, – uh, my first home run off of Jerry Augustine. I, uh, my my first hit off of Doc Ellis, uh, and that that ball that I got from uh, off of uh, Doc Ellis, John Walkenfuss, who was out in the bullpen uh, and, and wasn't playing that day, uh, he traded he traded five balls for that. Uh, well, no, that was for my first home run ball, John, uh, John Walkenfuss traded five balls. They threw my first ball out, uh, uh, obviously in Texas. So I still have that. <laughs> That's cool. Now, a few days later, you, like you mentioned, your first big league home run off Jerry Augustine. Do you remember that at bat pretty well too? Oh, well, yeah, it's one of those things where you remember it, but you don't remember it. Yeah. Uh, you know, that it was, it was just one of those things where, hey, you swing, you hit it, and you you run around the bases, and then you sit down and go, oh man, I just hit my first home run. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was uh, it was it was kind of a, a nice experience, but it was nice also that those guys thought enough uh, of me out in the bullpen that uh, they traded traded. <laughs> balls to get mine back the original yeah that's that's cool so you spend the entire 79 season in detroit and then you have some bad luck in 1980 in early 80 you had surgery to repair the injured cartilage in your right knee that cost you a good chunk of that year how frustrating was that to deal with well it was pretty frustrating uh in the fact that i had to watch it i went to the a lot of the games the majority of the games at home uh, sat up in in the broadcast booth. Didn't didn't do any broadcasting, but I just sat up there uh, with Ernie Harwell and um, uh, Paul Carey. And it, but it, it was a little frustrating uh, watching, and it was a little worrisome too because at that point you see a lot of people come coming by and in and out vying for that spot that that I, I that I had and so now you start to think wow you know it's uh, the competition is on and fortunately for me I uh, I was able to to weather the storm because uh, Les Moss had been fired halfway through the season and Sparky Anderson came on and Sparky had a lot of people coming and going in that uh, fifth and I would say fourth and fifth spot, outfield spot. Uh, but through the whole thing, I probably saw in my five years with them, I probably saw maybe ten people go through there hmm. as uh, to fill up my uh, to fill in my spot uh, and take my place. But I was I was fortunate enough to weather the storm and stay the five years there. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned Ernie Harwell, by the way. It's a guy that I always looked up to. What kind of man was Ernie? Ah, so sincere, genuine. Uh, uh, Ernie was, uh, uh, he, him and I became 
very close. Uh, he used to, when we would go to different cities, he would call me up uh, in my hotel room and say, are you busy? Uh, no. What do you need, Ernie? You want to go anywhere? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so we would go. He would take me to different places uh, in different cities and, uh, you know, and would introduce me to people that uh, he knew. Uh, and it was it was great, uh, you know, just to be able to spend time with Ernie, uh, such a genuine individual. Uh, you, you, they don't they don't come any better. Yeah, I love listening to him do you know do games. He'd say, "And Mr. Jones is now up," and <laughs> I loved that. I love that. Now, one other guy I wanted to ask you about with the Tigers, who unfortunately is no longer with us either, but he also pitched for the Royals later on. Is do you remember very much about uh, Aurelio Lopez? Oh yes, uh, Aurelio was a. I'll tell you what, it was just a case where give me the ball. He didn't care when. It, just give me the ball. Uh, Aurelio was a great person, great individual. Uh, everybody loved. I, I don't think he had an enemy in the world. Uh, he just was such a genuine individual and great teammate. Uh, and if there was anybody who wanted the ball at any time during any uh, any game, and and I mean it didn't matter how many days in a row. He he was willing and able to go, and that was the thing that was, that everybody loved and teammates loved about him. Not only was he a good person, but he'd take the ball uh, whenever. Uh, and and Sparky used him. Uh, sometimes we were wondering, dang, you know, is he going to ever get a day off? Uh, <laughs> but he didn't. He took the ball all the time. But he had he he just had one of those arms that uh, was very resilient. Yeah. It's tragic. Did you know that all three guys named Aurelio have all died in car accidents that played in the major leagues? Well, I know Chi-Chi. Yeah. Um, you know, he was another one that we absolutely loved, too. Uh, tremendous arm at third base. Uh, of course, that's Rodriguez. Right. Now, who was the other one, Aurelio? Monte Aguado, pitched for the Royals also. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's sad. Like I, I uncovered that a while back, and I was like, man, that's rough. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so overall, your favorite, you know, before we talk about KC, so the last question about Detroit, your favorite memories of living in Detroit and playing up there? Well, I, you know, it was a, a combination of a lot of things in Detroit. We didn't have winning seasons uh, there, and the winning seasons didn't come until – the the year I left and and I I think Daryl Evans going over there kind of solidified uh, uh, that team uh, and and Willie obviously Willie Hernandez also was a, 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 one of those guys that uh, you know solidified that team uh, which put him over the hump and it really put him over the hump big time but the memories that I have are some of the close friends that that I have to this day. Uh, and my dearest friend over there was Alan Trammell, who was my best man at my wedding. Uh, Alan Trammell, Dave Rosema, Tom Brookins. Uh, Tom Brookins I played with down in the Shenandoah Valley League in, uh, when we were playing summer, uh, summer college ball. So those are some of the close friends that I had there, and then being able to, uh, uh, play with the likes of Ron LaFleur 
and Rusty Staub, uh, Milt May, John Hiller, Jack Billingham. Uh, you know, those to me were class individuals, but very, very good, solid baseball players. Uh, and I, I saw where Jack Billingsley's uh, name is still brought up when that you bring up the ERA in World Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so those are some of the fondest memories that I had uh, in Detroit. And, you know, we, were, we kind of grew up together there. Uh, for those five years that I was there, a lot of those guys that I had mentioned uh, had been there a year. Lance Parrish was another one. Uh, and, you know, those guys, Jack Morris, I forgot Jack. Uh, you know, those guys were only there a year uh, or maybe two years before I was there. And so we all kind of matured together. Uh, and, and so, you know, we got pretty tight. And it was nice to be able to play with those guys. Well, following 1983, you signed as a free agent with the Royals. So what made you choose to come here to KC? A job. Yeah. <laughs> Was that the main one? Uh, it, well, you know, I, I, I kind of I, – I, I was in negotiations with Detroit, and negotiations weren't going very well. And I was up in Maine uh, or New Hampshire visiting a friend and looking at – uh, businesses and stuff that, you know, potentially get into. And I open up the paper and I look and I see uh, that my contract had been assigned, and, which was like, wow, shocker. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I got on the horn, my agent got on the horn and uh, contacted Detroit. And it was during that time when Kansas City was going through, uh, you know, some controversy uh, um, with the drugs and the whole bit, and which was a, uh, a kind of a dark, dark cloud over there. And I got the opportunity through John Shearholtz to come over. And he felt that I could add something to uh, the Royals, and I was noted for my defense, and we had a bunch of young kids that were coming up. Uh, and I think he kind of looked at me to kind of solidify uh, at least a defense, if nothing else, and, and help out a little bit offensively. Uh, so it, it seemed like a good fit at the time, uh, and, it, and it turned out to be a good fit. And uh, John, he, I mean, he was a magician as far as I was concerned because, uh, you know, putting that team together had a lot of potential, with some of the guys that were coming up, but we didn't know how, how far or how you know how far we were going to go, uh, and the building process was it looked long and it looked like a long term plan. Right. Well, it wouldn't be so. '84, you have uh, some bad luck again. You broke your left hand during the last week of spring training in '84 that year, so you didn't really get to start until early August because you also cracked a left knuckle and missed some more time in, in June or July. But ultimately, you hit 301 that year. You had a game-winning RBIs and two out of five games stretch, and then you had a key pinch hit against your old team in the '84 ALCS as well. So that first year with KC in '84, what sticks out about that? Being able to, more than anything, being able to uh, uh, play against my old teammates, uh, that was an extraordinary thing for me to be able to uh, 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 
get into the playoffs, one, to be able to uh, squeak our way into it, and then to be able to play against Detroit uh, was even better yet. Uh, did we have a shot at it? No, <laughs> not at all, simply because they were the best team in baseball. I think from the first week of the season, they were in first place. They were the best team in all of baseball, and they never relinquished uh, that that spot the whole year. And they, they cleaned everybody's clocks during the playoffs. Uh, so it, it was kind of nice to be able to do that. Uh, and uh, to be able to play against my old teammates, not knowing what the future would hold, but at least I got an opportunity to get to the playoffs. Yeah, and then 1985 would obviously be a season for the ages. So you guys, you won the World Series, and you played a key role in that. You went three for five with a double and a triple in that series, and you made some nice defensive plays as well. But before we talk about the World Series, let's talk about that Toronto series in the 85 ALCS. So you guys are down three to one. I mean, what do you remember about that? Did you guys honestly believe you'd come back from that deficit? Uh, I don't. I don't know whether, you know, looking back, uh, I, I don't know whether we ever thought we could. Uh, you know, as long as, as, long as uh, we're playing, you know, we might as well go out and have fun and, and play, uh, play like it is our last game. And I think everybody had that attitude. Uh, certainly we were relying on – some key individuals. Our pitching was outstanding. There was no doubt that we had one of the best pitching staff um, uh, there. But, uh, you know, and the, that old line about good pitching beats good hitting any day, uh, you know, we truly believed that. But we also had a good defense. Uh, so each game that went by and we, after we were down 3-1 to one and we won, and then we won the next one. Uh, it was one of those cases where I, I'm, I'm kind of an Im, uh, observant uh, individual, and I kind of look around and, and look at faces and eyes and see how, how things look. And one of the things that I saw was a different look. Every time we beat the Toronto Blue Jays, there was a different look and feel about how they were acting. And the pressure, I wouldn't say it was pressure but their demeanor changed every game uh and whether they were ahead or, or not it was one of those cases where the pressure was on them it wasn't on us we were we weren't supposed to be there but we were playing to have fun but we had some key individuals we had guys that were playoff savvy we had George, we had Frank, uh, and we had Willie, and we had um, um, Hal McRae. Who else? I mean, you talk about some key individuals that we could lean on to, uh, to help keep us at an ev- on an even keel. Those are, those were the, the perfect guys, and yet we still had a great pitching staff that <laughs> they had good arms. And they were they were nasty, uh, and if we could get to our bullpen and get the quiz, then it was all over. Uh, and that's the way we felt. But there was 
there, we had key, key components in place. Yeah, well, then getting into the World Series, you tripled your first at bat off of John Tudor, which I'm assuming you probably remember pretty well, right? Uh, yeah, uh, but I, you know, it was one of those things where, yeah, I hit the triple. I, I think both, both of my hits were change-ups, uh, but change-ups supposedly the best pitch in baseball uh, if, if the pitcher's on. Uh, but I had seen often because uh, we had played them uh, with Boston, and every time we played against a left-hander, I played against John Tudor, so I was familiar with him. I, went, I didn't have a whole lot of success uh, when he was with Boston against him because he was pretty good, but he just happened to lay some balls out over the plate, uh, and. I guess I was locked in. Yeah, for sure. Was that your favorite week of baseball in your entire life as a player? Oh yeah, no doubt. Uh, don't you know the the thing is is that I never remember anything else but going to the ballpark, and that's all we did. Uh, we didn't know anything that was going on around the field and in the city because we were concentrating on. Our games, and it was just to our houses, back home, to the ballpark, and and that was the route, and everything was routine for us. I don't remember guys going out, uh, and having good time, partying, doing whatever. Uh, we were all locked in, and it was uh, it was business as usual, and, and those are things that I remember. But the uh, the atmosphere at the ballpark was phenomenal and it, it certainly was the same the same case uh in this year's you know the enthusiasm that uh the royals fans were showing this year was you know just like at the year the year we won it now same thing down three to one in that world series i'm assuming the toronto series helped kind of make you believe a little bit extra did you guys believe once again maybe believe a little bit more this time that you'd come back well i don't know about <laughs> I don't know about any more. You wonder whether you could do it two times. <laughs> uh, you know, that's kind of stretching it uh, as far as uh, uh, putting your neck out there in the guillotine, and we certainly did that. But the Cards were a good ball club, and uh, they certainly, uh, you know, they certainly showed their stuff right away. And, uh, you know, and it takes a certain amount of luck. There's no doubt that a certain amount of luck goes in and is involved with it. And, you know, I, you know, not only the call, uh, but what happens if Vince Coleman's playing against us? Right. You know, who's, who would have ever thought that Vince Coleman was going to get run over by a, <laughs> a tarp, uh, 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 you know, a tarp roller? Right. <laughs> uh, you know, what? that's fate. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is. I mean, how much pride do you have? I mean, even today, does that, does that give you a lot of pride knowing that you were a part of that? Oh, there's no doubt. I, I've been very fortunate. I've been to. I've been back to the World Series uh, as a coach uh, uh, in an organization with uh, um, the Florida Marlins uh, in player development. That was uh, a nice thing. It was really nice to be able to go to all the, the functions in a World Series. Uh, when I was with the Marlins in 97, uh, I was managing in the minor leagues then. Uh, to be a first-base coach with the, the Boston Red Sox, 
uh, and participating in uh, in that World Series was, uh, you know, a great experience. But there's nothing like being a player and being on the field uh, as an actual player in, in the World Series. It's a tremendous experience and uh, one that, uh, you know, I consider myself very fortunate and lucky uh, in the fact that how many Hall of Famers and All-Stars and big league players that never have the opportunity uh, to do what, uh, you know, a handful do every year. Yeah. Well, 84 and 85, obviously amazing years for the Royals. 86, obviously very disappointing and tragic for a couple of reasons. The, the not a big deal in the grand scheme is the third place finish, the 76 and 86. The big deal and the tragedy was, of course, uh, you know, Dick Hauser being diagnosed with a brain tumor and dying just a year later. So, so talk about Dick. What kind of man was Dick, and then where did he rank amongst the managers that you played for? Well, I can't say enough about Dick because I thought Dick was a, a very big supporter of mine uh, and did whatever he could to get me in as many games as possible and uh, to be a part of uh, that winning team like that, knowing that I had a role. And Dick basically defined our roles as the season went on. And my role basically was to fill in and be uh, uh, Lonnie Smith's caddy, which is what I call it, because <laughs> I picked up his defensive slot every uh, every game when we, as long as we were winning. And uh, you know, Dick helped define roles for individuals. Uh, and there was a couple of things. He was not only, you know, was did did he make you relax around him? He made you respect your teammates. He made you respect the game, and it wasn't that he forced you to do it. He did it by the way he managed the game, the way he treated individuals. Uh, and I loved it even better when uh, when he got mad. <laughs> it was great when he'd come in. I know it was. I can't remember what year it was when he came in and uh, 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 upset the table uh, um, on the spread. After the game, loved it absolutely. It, you know, it got your attention, and there were times when things like that needed to be done, uh, and managers could do that. So, you know, he just and, and he was a good he was a good family man. He he supported us. He also, I think, Dick was one of those guys, and from personal experience, I think he liked college guys. Uh, and I think he took a liking to some of us that were college guys because of his college experience. Yeah, well, another another guy that would ultimately have you know the same fate, unfortunately, was Quiz. Talk about what kind of man Quiz was. Well, he was, you know, he was another individual, great heart, uh, you know, great smile. Him and I. I remember this to this day. He would pucker his lips every time he'd look at me, and and kind of uh, stick them out there and pucker them as our greeting. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just such a warm, sincere individual, uh, and a and you wouldn't think of Quiz if you looked at his personality. What a fiery competitor competitor he was when he would go out. Uh, to the mound and wanted the ball. They just give me the ball, 
and and uh, I'll take it never didn't show a lot of emotion out on the uh, field. Here it is. See if you can hit this, you know. And it was it was so nice knowing that we could rely on him. Plus, we knew what kind of individual he was, you know, deep religious conviction, uh, and we loved that about him. We loved everything about Quiz, uh, and uh, we were, you know, we're so sorry that he's not, you know, amongst us now. Yeah. Well, one positive thing from the end of that 86 season was I wanted to get your thoughts. What do you remember about a very young and very raw Bo Jackson, and what's the most (laughs) amazing thing you ever saw Bo do with your own two eyes? Well, he came up in the last 30 days uh, uh, when we expanded the roster. And we were, you know, okay, Bo Jackson, you know, what kind of individual is. Well, Bo, you know, understanding that he was, you know, he was a football player uh, who basically was playing some baseball. And, you know, we thought, well, okay, that's fine. Uh, uh, we got he's here now, and let's see what he's got. He wouldn't he would hit at the end of batting practice, and so what we would do is basically get off the field, or some of us would be in the outfield uh, shagging. And when he would hit balls at the first of all, he would hit them long and far, <laughs> but it was even. I would say amazing that when you looked up at the crown and that grass that is that curved grass yep. that is in front of the uh, the crown uh, for the backdrop, it was dotted with baseballs. <laughs> and we're looking up there and going, holy smokes, are you kidding me? <laughs> that is a long ways up there. And then when he started hitting balls beyond the crown to the left – uh, and off of the fence that was in the uh, back behind the crown that was to the left of it, yeah, you know, we're looking at this going, holy smokes, this is uh, this is some kind of athlete here. Uh, so we knew that they were uh, they they were looking at a tremendous, a potentially a tremendous baseball player. Yeah. Well, wow. I love that guy. So at the end of 86, you were 33. Did you pretty much know that was going to be it towards the end of that season? Yeah, I knew it. Uh, and uh, that was, I was okay with that uh, because one with Dick being sick, uh, I, I wasn't getting to play very much. I think I only had 50 some odd at bats during the whole year. Yeah. And I remember my last hit in we were in Oakland, and I think I hit a double down the line, and it was past my uh, Mark Mark Wagner, who was my <clears throat> I lived with him in Detroit. We played together, and when I got back in, got back into the dugout, Hal McRae, and this was probably a week to go in the season. <laughs> And I always sat down with Mac at the end of the dugout, and he goes, Jones, I think that might have been your last hit. (laughs) 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 And it was. (laughs) I don't think I sniffed another game. Uh, So 
Do I remember that? Yeah, because it was a lo- it was it was pretty funny because we did laugh about it uh, and enjoyed it and uh, and I and I was okay with that being my last year and Mike Ferrara was the uh, uh, the interim manager then and Mike told me one time when uh, we were we were talking that when Dick was kind of confused at some of the things that um, was going on when he was sick. Uh, he he told Mike that, you know, one of the things I feel bad about is that during this whole process, I I forgot about Lynn Jones. And you know what? That was okay. The fact that he told me that, I was okay with that. And that just kind of solidified that, you know, there was – there was a common ground that, you know, hey, it's okay. And when I got that meet meeting up with John Shearholtz, John was tremendous uh, telling me having a meeting, not waiting until the end of the season and saying that, you know, and, and saying they weren't going to, you know, getting a phone call. We had, a, we had a, a, a face-to-face conversation up in his office, and, I was, and it was fine. Uh, so I was good. I was ready to go. I was ready to leave the game. Yeah, so you eventually ended up back with the Royals in 91 and 92 as a first base coach. What were you doing from 86 to 91 then? I was a financial in, in investment broker. Huh. And I did that for a number of years. I, I was It was through a firm, VSR, in uh, Kansas City, kind of giving them a plug, uh, <laughs> uh, even though I'm not no longer associated or, uh, in the financial industry. Uh, uh, I was with them for 13 years, even when I went back into ball, uh, but it just got a little bit too much, and uh, I, I, uh, I had to give up my license just because it wasn't, I felt it wasn't fair to my clients because I was getting too much involved with baseball. 91 and 92 with the Royals. Your your favorite memories of those years as a coach? Well, uh, you know, I I think being able to be around some of my teammates was nice. Obviously, being around uh, George was uh, uh, a nice memory, and and one of the nice memories was. Uh, uh, was being at first base when George got his 3,000th hit, uh, and he was out in California. And uh, the good thing, uh, the, the story behind this one, though, is he gets picked off at first base on his 3,000th hit. <laughs> the, you have a left-hander who's a rookie, and I forget what the kid's name is. Fortun- Fortunato, yep. Fortunato or something like that. And... He picked George off in the first pitch. Well, George took his lead, and uh, shoot, George is in La La Land, and he should be. He just got his three thousandth hit. You know, he's he's guaranteed to be in the Hall of Fame. And Gary Gaetti gets gets the ball, and it's almost like he doesn't want to tag him. <laughs> he's going, "What are you doing? <laughs> Why in the world are you throwing this ball over here?" Uh, and it was almost like he was reluctant to tag him. And, uh, of course, he has to tag him out. George walks off the field. Well, I got, my, uh, I got a taste of what it was like being a first base coach uh, and having 
the guy who gets his 3,000th hit picked off. <laughs> of course, it's my fault. <laughs> and so I got a lot of razzing from the fans over at first base, needless to say. <laughs> That's great. Well, you managed the minor league level, the Marlins, from 93 to 2000. You had one year with the Braves in there in 2002. And then, like you mentioned earlier, you know the Boston Red Sox, the big league level in 2004 and 2005, you were part of that end of that 86-year curse of the Bambino. So how, how cool was that to see that and be a part of that? Well, that was, that was big. And the individuals that uh, were on that team, the, the players were – you know, they called themselves the idiots, <laughs> and they were just tremendous individuals. Uh, they were actually what I consider some of the best team ball players uh, that I had ever seen, and they knew how to wear down pitching, and that was that was the thing that was tremendous about them. Yeah, did we have a good pitching staff? Yes. Did was our defense good? Yes. But the individuals that we had were just offensively, they were so good, uh, and they wore down their pitching staff. Uh, and that was the thing that that I remember, and I don't think a lot of people really took that into account, uh, but. We were able to do that because I remember when we played Oakland. Oakland had the best pitching staff, I think, uh, in in the league with Hudson, Zito, uh, Mulder. Oh, there was somebody else in there too. Harden, they, maybe. Who? Rich Harden was there, I think. Um, maybe, uh, but they had it. They had a, a a great staff. But the one thing that our our guys knew, they were on a pitch limit. And they would go deep into counts, and their pitch counts would end in the sixth inning. <laughs> and then they'd get into the, the bullpen. And when they got into the bullpen, it, it was all over. And they would do that often with key members or key pitchers uh, uh, of every uh, pitching staff. And so it, it was just a matter of time before – the explosion was was about to take place, yeah. and so it was. And, and you know, and they knew it. That was the thing. They knew that they were going to win the ball game. All they had to do was stay close, uh, and that was nice. And and even probably the obviously the best memory was coming back from three three games and winning four straight games against uh, uh, New York. You know, which I guess at that time had never been done before. It probably still hasn't. Yeah, wow. And then you even had a, a movie the next year come out, right? Fever Pitch? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, That that's kind of nice because uh, uh, every now and then uh, when that's playing and my kids would see it, they they call me up and go, hey, I saw you today. You know, <laughs> real quick glimpses of me and uh, – uh, so, you know, it's nice memory. So, real nice memories. Yeah. Well, last three questions for you. So, uh, all, all Royals related. Who were you closest with during your times in Kansas City? And then, you know, do you stay in touch with any of your old Royals teammates these days? I was probably closest with uh, Willie Wilson, Buddy Biancolano. Uh, and do I stay in close touch with those guys? No. Uh, Dane Orge was another one. Uh, and I, I talked to Dane from from time to time. 
but I, most of the time I don't uh, uh, talk to those guys on a you know on a yearly basis maybe uh, 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 but I don't I'm not in constant contact with those guys uh, uh, but it's uh, you know we have it's one of those things that there is a camaraderie about that club and so that no matter how many years pass between when we see each other, there's a common bond and connection. And and Greg Pryor, he was another one that uh, he was uh, beside me uh, uh, by my locker. Uh, and so it was one of those things that, especially those guys in that kind of corner, John Wathen, Frank White, um, uh, um, Pryor, and and every now and then I'll text Steve Balboni, <laughs> uh, and you know Bones. I'm so happy for Bones uh, that he he's getting the opportunity to be a part of. Uh, I, I, I guess three now. Yeah, championships. Yeah. Uh, three championships teams, and I and I and I actually had an opportunity to see Bonesy uh, when we played in the 2004. He was scouting for uh, St. Louis, and I went to the ballpark that one day and he was there picking up his tickets. Uh, and so I got an opportunity to run into him by accident. <laughs> uh, so I'm very happy for him that, you know, he's a part of the San Francisco giants and being able to, uh, you know, acquire more rings, more gold, more, more diamonds. Yeah. You were here, what, three or four years ago for the world series thing here in KC. Uh, we had a, a reunion, all start. We had a, a, a softball game. That's what it was. Yes. And and we played the Giants, uh, or not Giants, but we played the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, and that was kind of nice. Uh, except for, I caught the last game, uh, the last ball during that uh, softball game, blew out my knee. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, it was the slowest catch I'd ever made, and jogging off the field. I, I blew out my knee, so <laughs> good memories. <laughs> yeah. Well, last thing for you, you know, in, in summary, what would you like to say to the Royals fans listening right now? Their time's coming again. Uh, I uh, Unfortunately, I was hoping that uh, they would have a World Series locked in by the time most of us are, uh, are on Social Security. <laughs> uh, but sorry, not the case. <laughs> I'm getting mine this year. <laughs> so, but uh, they're they're on the right path, and uh, Dayton Moore's done a tremendous job uh, with uh, George and uh, all of that staff. And I think that uh, they're they're going to be back. And uh, I do have to say that I have to give props to uh, my good buddy and longtime friend uh, 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 Rusty Coont. Because he has, he's finally getting his due uh, for the tremendous job that he's done through the years in in base running and outfield play, and they've got the best outfield uh, and base runners that you can get in baseball. Uh, so I think their time is coming, and and fans just have to be patient and. You know what? They're not the 85 Royals. They're going to make their own destiny, uh, and and 
market assuredly they're going to they're going to be on top well thank you so much for, for all your time and, and what you gave the royals both as a player and then obviously later on as a coach and you're a great baseball man and a great man it was nice to talk to you and hopefully we'll we'll stay in touch and, and thanks again okay dave you take care all right bye-bye all right bye